0: This edition of The Scene Crowd is with Tom Brandt. I first met Tom at the dorms at Mizzou in the early 1990s. Tom later became the farm broadcaster at KFEQ Radio in St. Joseph, Missouri. And it was there in 1996 that I floated to him the idea of the American countryside features. He has been the editor of those features since day one. In 2013, Tom faced a series of heart attacks that not only affected his life, but left him with a story that will challenge how you look at your own life, your faith, and your interactions with others. It's a story that goes far beyond a surgery at a hospital. It is a story that perhaps touches heaven itself. On this edition of the American Countryside's Scenic Route. Well, Tom, why don't you just first of all take me back to uh, the summer of 2013, and I'll let you pick up the story uh, wherever you want to there.
1: I guess the easiest spot to start is in uh, probably
0: (laughs) Memorial Day weekend.
1: Um, Family have been traveling we uh, we went to a wedding in Nashville um on the way home i got a notice, and uh, i had a bad pain in my shoulder and and really thought it was just driving too much um had a, had a trip up to world pork expo i thought well i've just exhausted an injury all that much more um fast forward to uh, the middle part of june and uh, probably two weeks after the fact that i i started having some sort of a sign that i was having issues um i just found myself in, in a lot of pain. Um, I could get relief from that pain if uh, the kids or Beth would would uh, rub my back, pop my back. And so I thought I had a slip disc, uh, you know, herniated disc, something like that on my back. I even had a knot on my back that was hurting. Um, went through several uh, extreme episodes of, of the dry heaps, of all things. Um, and I thought it was associated with pain. And after about three, four days of that, um, finally got to the point where Beth said, how are you feeling? And, and uh, I said, well, I said, it's not any worse. And she says, not any better. I think we should go to the emergency room. Got to the emergency room. They saw the knot on my back. They said, yeah, well, let's get an x-ray. They thought the same thing I did. And uh, and then began to do the family history and, and uh, um, decided they do some blood work. And, and uh, immediately came into the room and said, um, the blood work's come back and your protein levels are extremely high. Um, you've had multiple heart attacks and we think you might be having one now and so that was how i found out that i was having heart problems was what started off as a as as back pain never any pain in the jaw left arm any tightness in the chest that's associated with a heart attack but looking back i i think i probably had four um major heart attacks and, and one that was was uh, was quite lengthy um so uh, a bit of a wake-up call. Um, that was on a on a Sunday evening, and and uh, um, things moved forward from there.
0: You never went came home from the hospital
1: after that, right? I mean, they left you in the hospital, right? In fact, I, I said, "Okay, thank you. Um, I'm feeling fine now. Um, I'm going to go home. I'll check in with my doctor tomorrow." And, and they said, "No, you're not going anywhere." They gave me blood thinners, and they put a nitro paste on my chest. They admitted me to the hospital. I wanted to go to another hospital. They said, then the way you go is in an ambulance. My back was hurting me. I said, I'm not going to go to another hospital, especially if I have to ride in an ambulance to do it. And by the time the next morning came around, it just made sense to stay in the hospital. Because of the Plavix, the blood thinner, and uh, and then wanting to keep me under observation, I got to stay in the hospital from that Sunday night all the way until a Friday morning before they did my bypass surgery.
0: So when they did surgery then, how extensive a surgery were they going to have to do?
1: Um, they, they, I'll actually back up. They, they did a, uh, uh, an angiogram on my heart, um, kind of the, what people call the dye test, and uh, had multiple blockages, um, the least of which was at 70-some percent, and uh, as much as in the in the upper 90s. Um, I had the natural bypass that happens with a lot of people's hearts. Otherwise, I would have probably would have probably been completely clogged up in in some areas. And they said, "There's nothing we can do except for a bypass." So um, they told me I was going to have quadruple bypass. And uh, um, I remember thinking at the time, "Well, um, that's that's just uh, what it's going to take to fix it." I never my my dad had been through three bypasses. I never took the opportunity to think. Um, how extensive is this going to be um, i'd been feeling good, and uh, so I thought well i 'll recover quickly and and uh, and everything thing will will be all right here so um, I, 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 I never thought about it of all things um, i just I just knew it was something I was going to have to go through and and my, my original attitude was, I'll be back to work in a couple of days, I'll do a balloon procedure. Um, and then when I found out I was going to have to have bypass surgery, I thought, oh, I'll give myself a couple of weeks and hopefully I'll, I'll bounce right back. Little did I know, um, you're not going to bounce back in a couple of weeks after
0: bypass surgery. So what happened in surgery then?
1: Well, I'll start off, um, um, I, I, I had high hopes to, to get to see my doctor. um, um before the surgery, um, I'd met with her the day before. She'd explained the risk and, and you know, what the procedure would be involved in and uh, had a chance to, to meet her. Um, it was it was not the surgeon I was originally supposed to have. The surgeon I was supposed to have, his father got sick, ended up passing away, and so he wasn't able to do the surgery. And so Dr. Gene Schwabe um, did my surgery instead. Um, I, I'd never been in hospital in my life except for some very minor things. And so the whole hospital experience was completely new to me, and, and uh, um, they, uh, they brought back the anesthesiologist, and, and uh, I never got to see Dr. Schwabe before the surgery. I just remember they said start counting backwards from 10, and, and I think I made it to 8, and uh, was out. Um, in that heart surgery then, um, they've got my chest opened. Um, they're, they're, what they're doing is a harvest of veins from your legs they, they take a mammary vein from across your chest and then they'll, they'll take some veins out of your legs because they have less tendency to clot and, uh, and, uh, and to have plaque build up in the future and so uh, um, they just harvested the, the vein out of my leg um, my chest was open I was not on the heart and lung machine yet they gave me a shot of, uh, of a blood thinner uh, heparin and whenever they gave me the shot of heparin my heart completely stopped um, at that point in time, um, Dr. Schwalbe told me that um, she uh, she began to pump my heart by hand um, and with the other hand proceeded to hook me up to the heart and lung machine. Um, typically, you've got about three minutes to get that heart and lung machine on um, with the heart not beating. Otherwise, you start to have some, some brain damage that that occurs. And she told me that she'd only had that happen uh, three other times in uh, the time that she'd been a, a bypass surgeon, which was close to 20 years. And uh, um, she said, I've, I don't know that my hands have ever worked that fast in my life before. I asked her why she didn't have somebody help her, and she said there's only room for two hands inside an in open chest. One's to, one's to pump the heart, and the other one's to, to do the work to get to you on the heart and lung machine.
0: Mm-hmm. So after that point then, did the rest of the surgery proceed somewhat smoothly?
1: Um, from what I understand, and, and that's the good thing about modern medicine, is you get to see all the medical reports, you know, uh, on your personal record, and, and from what I understand things went fairly smooth. Um, they had taken some precautions to put a uh, an assist pump in my chest. Um, if needed, it'd be like a balloon that they could, they could inflate and, and deflate that would help your heart beat. Um, they decided by the time the surgery is done it wasn't needed, so they, they removed that. Um, I Got out of that surgery, and uh, um, was was actually alert, um, which which surprised me. I remember going back to the ICU from from surgery and thinking, "Wow, I'm surprised I woke up." Um, I I had had some I had some confusion because I could remember being shocked at some point in time and And I quizzed, you know, I quizzed the nurses, and and of course, you're in that anesthesia, and, and so you're you're not exactly straight on everything and i I'd, I'd ask Beth about it later on, and no, no, uh, um, I, could, I could remember seeing a pair of paddles coming towards my chest. They were more of a wand than they were a paddle, and uh, um, starting my heart and no, 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 you didn't that, that's not the way that work, and plus you couldn't have, couldn't have seen anything in surgery. I don't know that I had an out-of-body experience, but I was able to recall a lot of details that a person normally wouldn't be able to recall. Music that was on the radio um, that, uh, that Dr. Schwabi was listening to, um, describing uh, um, her using those those wands was true. She'd use those to start my heart after it had stopped, and uh, once she got me back on the heart and lung machine. And so uh, and that was my, my first little um, experience. Really didn't realize it until months, months after the surgery. And that, that that was real.
0: Did she say that others had experienced that? Was this the first time she'd heard something like that?
1: She told me that she'd had a few other stories that had come along. My favorite that, that uh, she told me was of a, uh, a patient of hers who'd had bypass surgery. And, uh, um, she said several months after the surgery had taken place, this fellow, this was when she was in Nebraska, this fellow had shown up at her office. It was on the day that her, her partner in the, in the practice had said, I think you need to go look for another job. He wanted to dissolve the partnership and had left her a list of possible openings, um, where she might go to be a thoracic surgeon in a, in a different location, um, patient who uh, she had operated on several months earlier, um, just shortly after that, um, came in and said, I'd like to see Dr. Schwabe. Um, everything okay. Yeah, everything's okay. I just, I need to see her. Came back and, and gave her a hug. And, uh, she said, well, I, I really appreciate that. And she said, it's one of those days I just need a hug. He said, well, I, I knew he said, your angel told my angel that you'd need a hug today. He said, I never did tell anybody. Basically, when I got home, he said, I wrote it on the calendar that this was the day I'm supposed to come and give you a hug. And so uh, I think that's the most unique <laughs> story that, that I have ever heard about someone, um, you know, having, having that experience. He, he said, I sat in the corner of the room uh, up on the closer to the ceiling and, and watched the whole thing. Um, he even asked her, he, he, said, he said, what was the smoke that came out of my chest? And that's when he was cauterizing an artery, which he was cauterizing an artery. So uh, um, he'd, had, he'd had quite the perspective on uh, on seeing his open-heart surgery done.
0: <laughs> you are out of the surgery then, but you aren't
1: out of the woods, so to speak. That's right. Um, I got back into ICU. Um, they wanted to do a little bit of, you know, cleaning up on me, and, and uh, um, they told Beth, they said everything, you know, we had some difficulties, but everything's fine now. You'll be able to go back and see me just a little bit. Um, of course, I'm unaware of that. Um, my my heart raced up to, to several hundred beats per minute, and then it stopped. And so they had to use a defibrillator um, on me four different times. They they shocked me um, to, to bring me back and, and to get my heart then into a into a decent um, rhythm. And of all things, I woke up. I I, I remember four distinct shocks. And when I woke up, um, in fact, there's a couple things I remember. One was someone taking and an opening my my eyelid and looking in. Um, that was uh, was one of my male nurses. And uh, then uh, and the then the second thing I remember is, is is opening my eyes and looking at the side of the bed, and I thought it was my original cardiologist, whose name is Dr. Sharma. And so a fellow sitting there in a, in a doctor's coat, and. Uh, of course, I've got a breathing tube in my mouth, but I managed to to say out of the side of my mouth, I could speak of Dr. Sharma, because I couldn't quite see him. And uh, he said, "No," he said, "I'm Dr. Beria." And I just remember thinking at the time, I hadn't seen Beth yet, but I wanted some sort of human touch, and I just I reached out my hand, and and he knew he knew what I what I wanted he knew what i needed and he reached over and, and he held my hand and of course i, I drifted you know back to sleep or, or because of that anesthesia probably a little bit out of things um fast forward a few days later he comes up to the to the hospital room um, when i'm on the main floor and he comes walking in and says morning mr brand how are you i said great dr barry how are you and uh, he said have we met I said, "Yeah." I said, "You were down in ICU, right after uh, they had to, to shock me to get my, start, my heart going." I said, "I said I thought you were Dr. Sharma, and, and uh, you told me you're Dr. Berry, and I said uh, I reached out my hand and you held my hand. and I really appreciate that." And uh, he said, "How many times did they shock you?" I said, "Well, it was four times um, altogether." And uh, he said, he said how long would you say it was he immediately became inquisitive how long would you say it was between shocks and and uh, just um, really asked me and and he, he said now he said tell me again what happened and so I recounted for him all again and he, he begins to take some notes down at this point in time and, and uh, um, he, uh, he he said most people wouldn't remember that and uh, he said from what perspective did you see all this I said, just like I'm laying here in the bed right now. I said, uh, not, uh, not any different than, you know, and, and I think he was quizzing to see if I was having some sort of a quote unquote out of body experience. I wasn't. Um, I just was one of the lucky few that happened uh, to recall that. Um, he, he quizzed me about it several times while I was there in the hospital. Um, so, uh, and, and then I've, then I've had a chance to visit with him later and, and uh, he said, uh, he said you're you're very fortunate or unfortunate, however you want to look at it, that you remember. They said most people don't. He said most people may remember it for a half a day, but he said to remember it in, in such detail um, later on. But you, know, you remembered
0: it exactly. I remember right. it exactly. I mean, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Then, how many days do we go? And you still have some trouble.
1: Yeah, I uh, so that bypass surgery is on a Friday. Typically, they'll, they'll take you off of the of the breathing machine within just a few hours and, and, and get you up and going. Um, because of the difficulty that I'd had, um, I think I, I stayed on that breathing machine for nearly 24, 30-some hours, um, all in all. Um, finally got me up and got me walking on a, on a Sunday. Um, I think I was probably back to a, a regular room by Monday. Um, was glad to get out of ICU. My recollections of, of ICU are are dark and just not very friendly and I think a lot of it is just because you're you're sleeping so much in and out and and you're you're hurting at that point in time um i had been told you need to walk and uh um the the more mobile you can get the faster your recovery is going to be and the quicker you're going to get to go home and I was so sick of a hospital after spending a week there doing nothing I wanted to get home so uh, my biggest challenge had been I hadn't been able to sleep very well and uh so on a Tuesday night, um, I, I said, uh, and, and, Beth noticed it as well, just knew that I was exhausted. Um, I, I said, I, I really just, if I could get a good night's sleep, um, I think I'd feel so much better. And, and even the doctor had said, we could possibly dismiss you on Wednesday afternoon for sure on Thursday. Um, you're, you're doing good. You're active, you're walking, um, all that. Um, so I asked them for him to prop me up on some pillows, and um, the nurses had said, uh, "We're going to put you on the the first rotation in the evening, and the last rotation in the morning. Give you the maximum amount of sleep. They have got a protocol where they check you after so many hours. They said we won't wake you up though, and um, we'll just um, you've always got a blood pressure cuff on, so they're you know able to just time out the blood pressure. And they said we'll we'll come in and check, and if you're resting well, we're going to leave you be. And that was around. 11.30 or so on a Tuesday night um, was when I remember rolling over my side and then propping up pillows and closing my eyes and, and going to sleep. Um, I woke up, it was 5 after 3, and uh, all the pillows propped up. I remember looking um, over my, my shoulder to the, I was on my left side and looking over their shoulder to the right to see the clock. And, and uh, in my mind I'm thinking, wow, i got, got three and a half hours of sleep. If I'm the last in rotation... I'm going to easily get three and a half, maybe four hours more if I can just sleep the rest of the night. I'm going to get to go home. Um, about 20 after three or so, Beth was staying the night in the, in the hospital room. She woke up, she'd, she'd woke up whenever I'd woke up in the past and realized that, oh my gosh, she's, he's been asleep for, for this long a time. And so she came over to check on me and she came to the side of the bed and, and, uh, She's in my eyes, group and I was making a horrible sound, and she going to get me to respond. And so she stepped down the hallway, and she, uh, she hollered, I need some help, I need some help now. The same exact time that, that she stepped down the hallway, the, the monitoring station um, had just detected that something's wrong with my heart rhythm. They thought I'd lost one of the lead lines, and uh, so they'd called up the nurse's station and said, You might want to check bed such and such. He's probably lost a lead line, but let's check him to be safe. So the nurse came uh, came running down the hall, especially when she heard Beth. Stepped in, couldn't get me to respond. Um, Beth was on the side of the bed where the code blue button was at, and she said, need to hit the code blue button. And with that, began to do chest compressions on me. And the uh, um, code blue team responded. It um, came in, and, and uh, um, a team of about 10 people or so, Um, doing uh, chest compressions and administering drugs and more defibrillator shocks and and, uh, they did CPR on me for about 20 minutes or so Um, until I I finally came to. Um, I'd I'd been alert a few times in that 20 minutes. Um, There's one point in time they asked me if I knew where I was at and I could not come up with the name of the hospital and finally managed to mutter out the words hospital after I told them a couple of hospital names of the, of different hospitals. Some, I still don't know where they're at. Um, I guess I was creative in names. Um, another time I woke up and, and they were doing chest compressions and, and just just pushing the air out of me. And I remember this, this one doctor said, you got to breathe, Tom, you got to breathe. And my thoughts were, if you get off my chest, you son of a gun, I would breathe. Um, and then when I finally came to, um, Here's this group of people around my bed, and the bed's been shoved away from the wall. And and, uh, um, I looked, and and, uh, um, I I knew the respiratory therapist. She'd been there for a few nights, and I, well, hey, Patty, how are you? And uh, I I guess the first thing I said was, well, hi, everybody. And uh, then, hey, Patty, how are you? And then I I realized, I began to put the pieces together chest compressions and and being shocked and the confusion and where are you and you got to breathe and and uh um, i remember thinking I'd, I'd scared beth and uh so i yelled beth very loud and uh and didn't hear anything and so i yelled it a second time and then i could start to see some movement on the side of the room and and her coming over and and uh, um, i remember thinking of the time i can't yell again because i'm going to wake up people in the rooms next door <laughs> So um, they told me I needed to move back down to, to ICU. That would have been about um, three forty-five, four o'clock in the morning or so. Didn't want to call the kids, wake them up in the middle of the night. Everything was fine. Didn't want to scare them. Um, didn't look at mom, call mom and dad. Um, so it was, it was just Beth and I. I said let's wait till about five. We know that there'll, there'll be some people that are up and and. Uh, um, N- nothing to tell anybody, but at the same time, you you wanted people to know. And so, um, over that course of that four to five o'clock um, time period, I'm back down in ICU, and and uh, Beth had to get the room packed back up. And uh, so I was I was solo down there for a while. And I know when she came in the room, I I said, uh, I said this sounds really odd, but I said I, I need to know what what people are praying. And uh, she, she said she said Well, why? I said, well, I said, I'm just. I said, it's like I'm hearing people's prayers. And uh, um, I, I had, uh, I had uh, some songs in my head, some old hymns that I hadn't heard for years. Amazing Grace is one of them. Um, around five o'clock or so, Beth went and texted good friends of ours, um, called my mom and dad, um, texted. Gene Millard, who had been my manager at the radio station. Um, one of the board members who was staying in town who had come to, come to visit me because we knew they'd be up around five. And then, then the overwhelming, um, it, 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 just, it really became overwhelming of Bible verses and, um, it is well with my soul. Um, and, uh, um, shortly after five, Dr. Schwabe came in and, uh, um, she said, "I'm I'm so sorry." She said, "I I got a page, um, from uh, from the overnight doctor. I'm just sure that before five o'clock this morning, and and she said I, I began to began to to pray a verse um, at that time, and, uh, um, and 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 it's goofy. Um, I I'd heard the verse. Um, I can't tell you what the verse is right now, um, other than uh, I know the plans I have for you. Um, and she began to recite it." And I recited it verbatim with her. And, uh, um, because I'd been hearing it again and again and again. Um, um, come to find out later, um, the, uh, the people in the room next door, I didn't know this for a few weeks. People in the room next door had, uh, had, uh, um, it was a mom and her daughter, and they began to pray because they'd heard the, the commotion of the code blue. Um, they sang Amazing Grace together. Um, um, the friends of ours that were coming down um she'd uh she'd prayed uh um, it is well with my soul she she prays a lot of hymns and uh um she'd uh um she she'd prayed all the way down and but that was one of the things that she'd prayed um later in the day um come to find out um i uh my my heart's just not one to cooperate um and to respond to some medication but doctor said i just uh he said, "I feel a whole lot better if we'd we put in a pacemaker and a defibrillator." And uh, I remember my first response to him was, "Pacemakers for old men." <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, "He said, well, he, said uh, he said pacemaker and a defibrillator is what's going to be saves your life." And uh, it was a very short conversation. I said, if, "If that's if that's what it takes, let's do it." And uh, um, he said, "When do you want to do it?" And I, I remember looking at the clock, and I said, "How soon can we go?" And he said, "Oh, he said about ten ten thirty this morning." And it was it was almost ten o'clock. We didn't get in to get that procedure done until later in the day, but but things moved really fast. And so um, we went in um, for the uh, the procedure, and and uh, because I'd had these issues, they didn't want to put me under and give me any sedative. Um, they want me to be a, awake and alert for the surgery. Um, I'm in a talkative mood. I'm asking all sorts of questions. You know, what colors the defibrillator? And uh, um, I'm making comments about Mizzou. And and uh, one of the nurses apparently is from KU. And and. Uh, um, I'm asking if they're using screwdrivers and Allen wrenches, and you know, I just, I'm, I'm having a heck of a fun time. I'm completely gowned up. I can't see anything. Every so often, there'd be a nurse, and she'd stick her head down to the side of my bed. I could see her. Um, they'd velcroed me onto this bed um, because they wanted me to, to be perfectly still. Um, they, they didn't tell me they're going to have to test out the, the device, and that was part of the reason they, they secure you to the bed. But as this procedure's taking place, I'm very aware where the surgeon's at, where his helper's at, where the technician's at, and then where uh, this nurse is. And, uh, and I can hear them all talking. But at some point in time, I feel underneath, the, underneath, the, underneath my legs, or especially underneath my, my knees, you know, um, where you naturally have that opening spot of the bed, I feel a hand... Slip underneath my legs. I thought, boy, that that seems odd. And then, shortly after that, one kind of in the in the small of my back as well. And and I, re- I remember thinking, well, surgeons here and techs here, and why why would you know? And and I actually felt like a lift up, um, taking place. And about the time I thought, oh, you know, that, that that's silly. Um, it was it was very much that I had a, a pair of hands underneath me, and I, I for as many questions I was asking, I never, never asked them. I just I thought, well, it's, it's just unusual. Um, where this all comes together is the next day, Gene Miller comes to see me, and uh, and I'd been asking everybody to come in. You know, what did you pray? Because I, I I I knew most of the time, and uh, Gene Miller came in and. And I said, what did you pray? And he said, I prayed that an angel would hold you. And uh, I said, yeah. yeah I, I, to me, I guess it was almost the missing piece of... I mean, I've been able to put hymns and prayers and Bible verses together, but that was the piece that was missing and, and it was confirmed for me. You know, that just... Uh, um, I've always believed in the power of prayer. Um, but but boy, I I, I knew specifically... Um, what people were praying, and knew that it made the difference as well.
0: Was there something you said about somebody that you hadn't seen for a long time in church or somebody older or something?
1: Yeah, the, the night before the bypass surgery, um, my hands had been, had been pretty sore. My feet were sore. I, 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 just, I was uncomfortable um, all the way around. But for some reason, my hands have been achy. Of course, they're, they're putting some fluids into you, getting you ready for surgery. And I'd asked Beth to rub my hands. And uh, so she was. She was rubbing my hands, and, and I, um, I started to fall asleep. And I've, I've told people I, I don't know if you call it a, a dream or a vision or, um, exactly what you would call it. I was very aware of everything that was taking place. Um, I, 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 uh, um, found myself in a, in a large theater like setting. Um, and, a, and a spotlight came on, and it was a classmate of mine who had passed away the fall after we graduated high school. And uh, immediately recognized him. And, and uh, um, then, uh, then another spotlight came on, and it was uh, another high school classmate. And and I can't remember who, had passed, away? who had passed away as well a few years after graduation. Um, and I can't remember what point in time. Um, I remember someone saying. Um, it's not your time, everything's going to be alright. And I was walking down, like you'd walk down the aisle in in a theater, like a a theatrical theater, not a movie theater, and there were people that were on a stage. And slowly, lights would come on and illuminate different parts of the stage. And so, uh, um, my grandparents um, were there. Um, um, My granddad... I'm from my dad's side. I never knew my grandma. She had passed away when my dad was a teenager. Um, I'd worked with, uh, with kids um, from Camp Quality, a summer camp for kids with cancer, um, three of which had passed away. Um, I recognized two of them and, and knew them by name immediately. One I knew, but I just I didn't know the name. Um, there were uh, um, a group of farm broadcasters that had passed away, um, some that were old, some that have passed away unexpectedly. Some that have been killed in, in the car accidents. Um, that I saw there. Um, people that have gone to church within Saint Joseph. Um, our hired hands' wife um, was one that I saw. Um, best mother. Um, best grandparents. Um, I uh, I saw a young guy that that really it confused me because it looked like who is now my son-in-law. Um, and i and I remember thinking what's what's Tyler here? um his brother had passed away. they look a lot alike, and then I remember thinking oh that's that's not Tyler that's John um Then I began to, to see people um, beside the hired hands wife, um friend of ours who had passed away from cancer, um, a uh, lady from my hometown who had passed away fairly young um from cancer as well um, an old widow woman who I remember sat on that far right hand side of church. I couldn't remember her name. And then there's always another widow woman who sat next to her. Well, all of a sudden she was there as well. Um, uh, the campus minister who'd married Beth and I um, was there. Roy Weiss. Um and, and and there were more people, but um, those were the ones that, that I, I mean, I distinctly remember. Hired hired hand um, and his father. Um, I, kn- I know I woke up the next morning. And, and I, I just I I, I I saw this, and then the again I heard, "It's not your time. Everything's going to be all right." And then it was like I was being pulled back, and could see this whole stage lit up, and uh, um, I, I remember seeing Jesus um, standing there with his arms spread open, and uh, um, thousands of angels um, just illuminated behind. And then with that, um, uh, falling asleep. And and the reason I say, I don't know if it was a dream or a vision or what you want to call it, because when I started to see these people, I began to cry. Um, I just was really overcome with emotion. And I could feel that warmth coming down my cheek. And at the same time, I could feel Beth rubbing my hand. And uh, I remember smiling because some of those were, I never expected you know, I had a I had a an a, a supervisor from UPS where I worked in college for a few months who had been shot and killed. He was there. I mean just just people that, that I didn't have a, a solid connection with at all, but all that had passed. And uh um I, I remember saying oh yes and, and saying yes and oh and and at one point in am thinking I may be scaring Beth. Um and wanting to open my eyes, but knowing if open my eyes it all ended, so I kept my eyes closed and continued to feel those those warm tears coming down my face and her rubbing my hand. But when we got to the the whole end of that, I just remember just kind of fade to black and falling asleep. Beth was smart enough that when um, you have to do a series of a uh, scrub down showers, um, that whenever uh, I woke up. We're, we're going through the first scrub down and she said did you have a you have a dream last night she said so you know was something upsetting you and uh you you worried i said no i'm i'm not worried at all and uh she said were you having a dream or or what was and i said oh i said i had a i had a wonderful experience and uh i began to tell her who all was there and she grabbed a notebook and started to write those down and uh I think it was around 38 names that I named, you know, just one after another, just as fast as she could write it down. Um, some people have told uh, about it. Um, I had a chance to uh, to speak to a uh, to a group here, oh, back in January, and uh, was uh, was giving my remarks and and uh, got done. And this woman came up to me and I knew she looked familiar, and uh, she said uh, she said I'm Dennis's widow. And uh, she said, "I've just got to ask." She said, uh, "And I'd gone to church with Dennis and sung in choir with him. He'd been killed in a tractor accident." She said, "I've just got to ask." She said, "Was Dennis one of them uh, that you saw?" And and I interrupted before she could she could finish her sentence. I said, "Yeah." I said, "Dennis Dennis was there. He was in fact of all the people from from Central Christian, Dennis was one of the first ones um, that that, uh, that i had I'd seen in that vision." So to this day, I don't know how you explain it. Um, you know, people said, Oh, you had a glimpse of heaven. I don't know that I had a glimpse of heaven. Um, me, may, yeah, maybe, maybe not heaven itself, but, but, uh, but a window to something. Um, went and visited with my pastor about it. Um, he'd, uh, um, he'd said, uh, he said, this is, this can be common. And with some people before they experience death, um, he, he, he said, uh, there's a there's a, a Celtic religion that uh, that calls it a thin place. Um, the the Celts have taken it to an extreme, where they think you can go to different places in the world. Stonehenge being one of them, and you're you're closer to heaven. And that he said, and, he's, he's, and then we're we're not talking about that. Um, but he said it, it's it's similar. Um, he, he described it as a as a thin place. Um, I I would would love to have the experience again, um, but. But part of me knows that if I had that experience again, it might be because I'm, I'm near death. I don't know, um, uh, but but the fact that I remembered it, and I think the reason I was able to remember it is because Beth took, took really good
0: notes about it. Well, you were already strong in your faith. I suspect it didn't do anything to diminish it.
1: Not at all. Not at all. It, uh, uh, you know the 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 obvious prayers the answered prayers the, the the everything that i heard that just reaffirmed to me that we've got a god that is very real that loves us very much um that uh that that, that has a personal relationship with us and uh it's it's just being open to the fact that that he's always there even whenever we we say eh, you know um, um i'm doing fine on my own yeah he's 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 always there and and uh, I'm glad that he is
0: has it changed your worship or faith in any way um i
1: the, what i would say is it's definitely made my faith stronger and and uh um more real um i i i did struggle um after surgery with um, why did I survive? And and a lot of it was because here here's three kids that had passed away with cancer and here's someone who was taken tragically at an accident. And you know and, 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 and here's here's this this group of people that I know that had a heart attack and died or you know whatever it was and I really struggled with the why why did I survive complications in surgery, complications post surgery and twenty minutes of CPR, um, you know. I, and I got really inquisitive. Um, there's some hospital um, studies that are done. If if uh, if you have CPR done on the ambulance between home and the hospital, it's like a three percent or less chance of surviving. It's it's really really small. Um, if you have it in the hospital, it's still less than ten percent. So only you know one in ten, or less than one in ten, survive CPR. And so I I struggled with the, you know, why 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 did I survive, um, and and if if it's reaffirmed in anything, it's you've got a purpose um, in life. Um, one of the guys that I, I regularly visit with, um, he always he, he as we started to visit, he challenged me and say, "What do you want?" And I always said that's selfish. You know, if, if you ask me, what do I want? That's that's selfish. And I think because of the heart attack and the answering the, why did I survive? Um, what what do I want? Um, it's to live a purpose-filled life. And so, when I when I focus on the fact that my life has purpose, it's not being selfish. Um, my purpose is helping others. And so, what do I want? I want to live. In, well, I want to live in purpose. Um, you know I, I, I want to be a reflection of Christ and so that's the that's the place that it's taken me
0: besides the obvious of the, the prayers and the faith aspect and things how has it changed your life maybe physically or routine or any of those things you do day to day
1: you know um, I, w- I have told people I was always an optimist about most everything um, I, and I think people can get stuck in, in being a, a pessimist and they get down times and all that and and I, I had those, and, and and still do, and not near as often as I as I probably did pre heart attack. Um, there are very few mornings that my feet don't hit the floor in the morning, that I'm I just I stop and take note of today's another day. I'm like I've got another day. Um, I've got a little monitor next to my bed that that monitors this defibrillator and, and pacemaker, and it's got a green light on it. As long as it's green, everything's good. If it's red, then I got to call the doctor's office and. And so it's just it's kind of a routine. Feet at the ground. Thanks Lord for another another good day and, and uh I'm gonna make the most of it and, and uh green light, go. And uh um i it, it I know it happened every morning for a long time. Um and and I've noticed it is is, is pretty regular as well. There's there's been some times that it probably didn't hit me every morning, but that's one thing that's changed. Um, made some changes in diet. Um more conscious about calories than I've ever ever been before. Um, sometimes need to be even more so, but in the big picture, you you look at things and and uh, you just I, I just don't eat the way I used to. Um, I uh,
0: what what things have you changed in your diet? I'm interested. Uh,
1: I try to cut back on the carbs. It's so hard. Um, for For the first several months, I had just a few a couple of pieces of bread. Um, I, I really cut back on the on the carbs to begin with and. And that—that's probably the hardest thing to give up—is—is is bread. Um, and so I would say I'm probably back to what a normal person would eat on bread. Where before I was really heavy on pasta. I don't eat a whole lot of pasta at all anymore. I'd—I'd um, I'd really drop back on my soda intake. I haven't had half a dozen sodas in the last two and a half years. Um, I suppose now. Um, My—and that goes back to counting calories. I figure why well, drink my calories? Um, I'll drink water. Um, I'd been in a pretty good habit of drinking water, and uh, and that's that's definitely increased. And then um, consistent exercise. I got a pedometer. I know when I'm active. Um, I try to try to walk for 30 minutes. Doesn't always happen, but if I can get in three 10 minute walks a day, um, right right now for me, um, just because of busy schedule, it's steps how many steps a day can I get in? So that's that's some of the main things that have changed.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you still eat a macrib? I've had
1: one McRib this season. Um yeah, I, I consider myself the the poster child of the McRib sandwich. Um during one of those McRib seasons, I average more than one McRib a day. Um I and I still think it's a great sandwich. It's it's leaner than McDonald's chicken sandwich and and uh, calories are less than about anything that they've got on the menu unless you just go with a small burger. Um but there's just something about not eating multiple you know because I didn't eat just one before I got the second one for a dollar and I've had one this season that'll probably last me you know for for quite a while. I I, I just don't have the craving for some of the foods that I probably had in the past. Well, I was going to
0: ask, is it that you have great willpower? Is it that you went through this and so you never want to go through it again? Is it that your diet has changed and it wasn't all you're doing? I'm interested because, you know, people listening to this, a lot of us need to make changes. So how do we learn from you to make those good changes?
1: Willpower has been, has been a lot of it. Just, um, yeah, I, I would, I'd love to go to McDonald's for, for lunch and supper and, and uh, you know and get the two for five dollars special and, and uh, supersize the fries and and uh, um, but the willpower is enabled because I don't want to go through um, even the bypass surgery again. Statistically I may. Um, you know that's one of the things I asked Doctor Schwabe when I when I had my first follow up visit, I said okay. I said forty two years old, had bypass surgery um, you've told me it's genetic. You know, there's, there's a few things I may have, may have done that could have delayed it, but this was inevitable for me. Um, what, how soon is it going to be before I see you again? And she said, you know what, if, if, you, if you do things right, you exercise and you watch what you're eating, um, she said, you may never have to do bypass again. She said, you may have to do some, some balloon procedures. But uh, she said, now on the flip side, she said, you can do everything right, and I may see you again in five, ten years. And so in the back of my mind, it makes a difference whenever I, I look at something and, and uh, think, you yeah, it's, it's it's just not the, it's not the best route to go. Pre-heart attack, I'd actually lost quite a bit of weight. Um, I'd, I'd lost probably 50 to 60 pounds. Um, post-heart attack, I took off quite a bit of weight. Um, I got down to a 100-pound weight loss for a few days, um, and that, that just didn't stay there. Um, had a lot of people that were asking me if I was sick, um, if, if I was doing well. I put put a little bit back on, uh, maintained that weight for, oh boy, well over a year. Um, it's just been in the last six to nine months that I've I've gained some back. I'm still lower weight than I was pre-heart attack, um, which makes me feel good. At the same time, winter's never easy, and so uh, um, I'm I'm being very conscious of. Of, of what it is that I'm I'm eating and counting calories and drinking the extra water, so um, it, it was easier motivation when you've got a scar that still hurts to to uh, keep on pushing the the plate away. Um, that, that's for sure. But um, but it, um, it, it's been in the big picture, it's been pretty darn easy to to say, okay, um, this is all I'm going to eat today. Um, I don't have to eat to, to be full. I'm, I'm just. Um, it's an old widow woman that had uh, told me once, she said, I'm eating to live instead of living to eat.